Hey everybody, welcome to episode 8 of the Aquascaping Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Art. Joining us today as usual is Sean. And we'll be talking about estimated index, photoshopping and ethics, creating moonlight for our aquarium, and much more. So stay tuned. Got a question for the show? Record it and send it to aquascapingpodcast at gmail.com. We'll do our best to play it on the air and answer the question for you. Don't forget to rate and subscribe on iTunes and check us out at aquascapingpodcast.com. Okay, so our first topic here is estimated index. Before we get into the specifics of it, I just want to give you a rundown of what it is I exactly do to fertilize my tank using estimated index, or EI. I have two sets of fertilizers. One is the macros and the other is the micros. And I just have them in little jars with measuring cups. And every day on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I dose the macros and I just have a scoop. It goes right into the water directly, right into the aquarium. On Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, I dose the micros. Same way, dump straight into the aquarium. On Sunday, 50% water change, no fertilizing. And then Monday starts the whole cycle over again. It only takes about 20 seconds a day. It's really easy, and there's room for error, so it's 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 really good. It's I like this system. Uh, it's, it's really easy for me, and I don't have to think about it. I left links on where to buy supplies for estimated index, where to get the fertilizers, and some diagrams, some tables, um, explaining how much you should dose in whatever size aquarium you have. So just go to aquascapingpodcast.com. Check out the show notes for this episode, episode 8, and they'll be right there. All right, let's jump into the conversation with Sean about estimated index. You know, what is it and what are what, what do people get confused about with it? So I kind of wrote out a, a quick little synopsis of what EI is, and I'll just read it. And if, if I'm wrong, you can just, uh, just tell me. But it was developed by Tom Barr. Uh, it's a daily fertilizing routine based on a seven-day cycle, which resets uh, with a 50% water change. And I guess the idea is to dose excess amounts of nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, uh, and trace elements so that the plants have more than they need so they can outcompete algae. And that eliminates uh, fertilization as a factor when diagnosing other issues in the aquarium. Uh, and it also eliminates the need to test for nutrients. Um, is, is that basically what it is? And, and, and if I'm wrong, go ahead and, and, and correct that. But uh, where do people get tripped up with EI? Well, I think that's a good rundown, Jay. Um, you know, and I, I guess it's funny, you know, Tom would probably contest that it's it's his re- regimen. It's something that he invented because it's really, he says it's something that's been in development for a while. People had been working on and he just became a big proponent of it and probably one of the most knowledgeable proponents of it, you know, in the hobby. And so it's kind of been labeled as his thing um, where I think, you know, most of us would think it is his thing, but he contests that a little bit, I think. And from what I've read that, you know, it's not really just his thing, but he was the biggest proponent of using it. And yes, I think the big thing there is to provide nutrients in a non-limiting quantity. Um, I think what people get really tripped up on in EI is they think that these ranges are set in stone and you need to follow the ranges and really, you got to look at what, what you have going on in your tank, what levels of light, what kind of plants and things like that, because each tank is different. And what's non-limiting in one tank may be limiting in another tank or maybe outrageously overkill in another. 
And so it still requires a bit of horticulture, learning how to grow plants, learning what plants need. But the nice thing about dosing EI is you don't have to worry about this deficiency or that deficiency. The forums are filled with people questioning, you know, what's going on with my plant here? What's this deficiency? Is this a deficiency? What's the symptom? Uh, And I'll tell you, in my experience, most times when you're having trouble growing plants, if you are providing some type of fertilization, whether it's a leaner regimen or EI, most often it's problems with the balance between CO2 and light. Um, You know, I've had some tanks that have run really lean, um, high light, and that's just because, honestly, I was a little neglectful. Um, But... It because I had a good soil like aqua soil and it was a newer soil that had lots of nutrients in it and the plants weren't being limited. And with that, I think you when you the plants grow very well, they're more effective at using the resources. Um, and so it the nutrients don't cause algae. Poor plant growth will lead to algae. One way to look at algae is it it's opportunistic and it takes advantage of the instability in a system where plants aren't growing well. And when plants aren't growing well, there's also probably dying leaves, there's more decaying organic matter, and there might be some other things going on in the tank. You might have um, some biofiltration issues. So the overall health of the system is allowing algae to take advantage of the um, of that instability to grow. I mean, it, it has short growth periods. It doesn't need a lot uh, of time to adjust or establish to new conditions. It's ready to take advantage of them right away. Whereas our plants, they need that stability when we first plant them. It takes a, you know, a couple weeks for them to start setting down roots and start really growing to their full potential. I think EI, sh- if a full EI should be definitely is intended for um, high light pressurized CO2 setups. Um, generally, those are growing um, stems that are going to have fast growth rates things like that. Whereas, you know, if you, you want to look at those ranges and you know, apply it to a lower light tank or slower growing plants, I generally generally say start at a third and then see how it goes. And so that's what people also forget is, again, that it's not set in stone and to, you still have to observe the tank and the system and see um, if you're getting good growth. And in the beginning, what I like to look for as far as determining if plants are really starting to grow well is root development because that's the first thing they're going for. Um, and some plants that aren't in good conditions, and that could be nutrients, CO2 flow, could be a number of things. They're not going to be setting down a lot of roots. You're not going to see, um, you know, in mosses, you'll see a lot of these um, apical leaves or or structures shooting out all over that's when the moss is happy if you don't see a lot of those light green little buds the moss isn't happy Um, so those are things that i look for and when i see that um, i know things are on the right track and there's been plenty of times in my 90 centimeter right now where i've actually cut co2 back because i was getting a little excessive it was stressing fish and um I've seen better grow since. So it's not always lots of CO2. It's not always lots of nutrients. Um, again, the nice thing about EI is you can say, I'm dosing enough nutrients, so let's work on dialing the CO2. Where Where's my light at? And things like that. Yeah, and that takes practice, and that takes some experience, and we're not going to get that by reading uh, threads or asking questions. I think those are great places to start to get a good um, base of information to start with. But you're going to have to dive in and do it at some point. 
And that's where you really start to gain a lot of um, valuable experience, especially, I think, to look at it is that's what you're doing when you first start is you're first trying to get an understanding of how to grow plants, what plants need. And then the next thing you can start to focus on is building a nice, beautiful aquascape, the design, the structure of it, and trying different techniques. All right, guys, it's time for today's quick tip. All right, what if you have a light that's just too bright for your aquascape, for your planted tank, it's causing issues, and you have no way to dim it? How can you lower that light output if you don't have that dimming option on your setup? Well, you can raise the light. That's one thing you can do. But what if that isn't even an option? There's a thing in the photo and video world called neutral density gel. And what that is is a thin plastic-like sheet that can be cut to any size or shape and put in front of the light source to reduce the light output. It works extremely well, and it's perfect for something like this. Now, you can get different intensities, and I definitely recommend to get the lightest intensity that you can, just cutting the least amount of light out. If you need to cut more, just double it up. They also have what's called cooling gels and warming gels, and they're the same things except they change the color temperature. Now, if you have a light source or a light that's specifically for, let's say, sunset, you can just put a warming filter in front of that light, and when you turn it on, will give the effect of a nice, warm, lowering sun over the horizon. I'm a big fan of EI because... I don't like to measure nutrients, and the reason I don't like to measure measure nutrients is um, I think the testing kits aren't that great, and I also have found in my experience that, I'll be honest, the 10 ppms, uh, parts per million of nitrate, if if it's non-limiting, it doesn't matter. Right. I mean, if we're a lot of times we find ourselves nitpicking over values and um, testing this and testing that, where really good horticulture, good practice and techniques will get you good growth and you don't need to measure. Um, You can recognize growth issues, CO2 issues, flow issues, those types of things. And that's how I grow my aquascapes. I don't measure. I I hardly ever test. Uh, The most testing I do is when I use a, a pH probe to run my CO2. Um, because I need to know those KH values um, to know how much CO2 to put into my tank. Um, but again, I also use a drop checker to double check that. So it's visual. Um, and I don't think you really have to spend your whole time measuring uh, to be successful. Right. And as far as o- overdosing, can you overdose? Uh, we're talking about non-limiting factors. And, and I mean, you know, of course, if you dump the whole bag in there, I think <laughs> that's probably going to be bad. But, you know, if we're off a little bit or if we're overdosing a, a, a tad, is that really going to make any sort of, you know, detrimental, uh, you know, uh, is it going to hurt the tank? In my experience, no. Uh, there will be people who disagree with that. Um, some people feel that uh, micronutrients have this low threshold for toxicity. Um, I don't think that's true. Um, I think that's probably where you could run into the most trouble though, is if you're really overdoing the micronutrients. Um, some of those do have, I guess, a greater capacity for causing damage to the living things in your tank. Right. Um, but I think there's an, there's a neat forum post by Tom Barr on the bar report where he 
was just just to see was going crazy on the nitrates and we're talking you know three four five six times even more I, I could be wrong of of the uh, nitrate levels and you know that his shrimp were still doing fine his his uh, fire red cherry shrimp I mean the things wouldn't even weren't damaged at all plants weren't damaged so I think wow. as far as the macronutrients. I don't worry about it uh, at all. And the only experience, bad experience I had was when I, I made myself my, I called it my poor man's dosing uh, auto doser. And I had done some maintenance in the tank area and I bumped the timer and the timer turned on and it dumped the whole solution of fertilizers into the tank. So it was like two months worth of EI straight into the tank in one in like three hours wow <laughs> and fortunately i came home that day i saw the tank was funny colored and i looked and saw the bottles were empty so i did several several water changes and most of the plants didn't show much damage at all one did melt back a little bit but it's hard to tell if it was also from that or from something else because um at the same time i think in the spring we do have some fluctuations in our tap water and I think that can be a shock a little bit to our system, uh, to my systems. Uh, every spring I find just difficulties pop up and I think it's just with the spring melt and the changes in how they treat the water yeah, can be I, a bit of an effect. It's funny you say that because I had uh, a few issues and, and you know, I'm a beginner here so I, I don't know exactly where they, they came from but um, over here, the same thing. Every spring, they flush out all the water systems, and you know, there's just stuff that gets into the water system uh, a little bit. And during that time, I had a couple issues. So, you know, sometimes it isn't in the aquarium. Sometimes it's just the water source that we're getting our water from. Yeah, and I think well, generally tap water is really good, and the need for RO is isn't really that big of a deal. I think in the hobby, people talk about RO DI water and needing it. Um, Again, it's about controlling variables. And so if you have RODI water and you can set the water right where you want it, that then becomes a known quantity in your aquarium. So um, if you're having problems, you are, can be fairly sure it's not your water because you have this RODI water that you keep track of the TDS and you, you, know, you add salts to the right hardness level and things like that. So I, that's where the advantage is as far as being able to grow most plants. You can most people in the U.S. Um, and elsewhere can grow most plants in their tap water. Right. Uh, as far as you know, we talked a little bit about testing supplies or testing kits. Uh, besides testing your KH, uh, maybe pH. Do you ever test for ammonia, for nitrate, for nitrite? I, I personally don't. I check pH and KH, and those are the only two assist, or two tests that I use. Yeah, and I I do maybe if it's the start of an aquascape with new soil and all of that before I add um, any fish or shrimp. But as far as the ongoing operation of a fully cycled planet tank, never. I just don't do it. I don't see a need unless I guess if you know fish were showing some issues that um, I couldn't explain by say CO two. Um, then I may consider it, but no, I don't do it as a regular routine um, because you should have a good biofilter. If you have a good filter running, those levels should stay undetectable. And again, there's situations where you may want to measure, you know, 
Say you've used a medication that could harm the biofilter. You might want to see if you're getting spikes of ammonia. Um, things like that. All right, let's talk about making a realistic-looking moonlight for our aquariums. It's a great time to watch our aquascapes once the main lights have gone out, everything's dark. If you get a really realistic moonlight, it's just amazing. So I've seen some products out there, mostly blue LEDs, but they're interesting-looking but not realistic-looking. Uh, the first thing is color temperature. The moon is just a reflecting the sun. It's just reflecting the sun. And the moon is gray, so it's not creating any color variances. So when we buy a bulb, we want to get a daylight color bulb. And what we want to do then is get it as far away from the surface of the water as possible. If you can get it all the way up near the ceiling, pointed down in a spotlight, you'd be surprised at how realistic that really looks. A dim light high above the aquarium, spotlight down so it doesn't spill out into the room, daylight setting, try it out. Very realistic and it looks amazing. Okay, we got a question from Dan from Western Australia. It's actually part of a series of questions that he wrote in on ethics. And the question here that I'm going to address is, is it ethical to use Photoshop to enhance scape pictures? And my short answer is yes. In fact, we should be. And I know most of you are probably cringing at that, but I'm going to explain why. Now, the first thing I think people kind of get tripped up on is the word Photoshop. And I think it's been generalized and used to really mean over-manipulation and, uh, you know, adding things that aren't there or taking things away. Photoshop is really, it's a program. But when we say Photoshop, we really mean something else. And I think everybody's interpretation of whatever that meaning is is a little bit different. We can all agree if we take a picture with a wide-angle lens, we're distorting the perspective of that image. If somebody walks into the studio here and I take a photograph of them, I can change how they look with the lighting. And that's all done before I even take the photograph. So the whole process of taking a picture is manipulating. It's what it is. So why not enhance it at the end? You know, I really think that today, you know, the technology is has been around, you know, for a while now. And enhancing a photograph is part of the professional you know, workflow. It's just part of the process. And the level of enhancement, I think, is what we need to address. So if we're in a contest, for example, I think that we should be allowed to make global changes. These are changes that affect the entire image, like contrast, changing the vibrance, the sharpness, things that will affect everything within the image and not individual manipulations like adding or subtracting things that are there or that we want to get rid of and things like that. If we're posting something online, who cares? Do whatever you want with the image. It doesn't matter. But in a contest, that's when it does matter. And it should really be as close to reality as possible. But the enhancements such as contrast and you know color changes and vibrance, things like that should be expected so that the image looks professional. Because after all, this is aquascaping and the entire, you know, drive behind it is to bring everything up to, a, you know, a higher level and uh, the editing process and enhancements in photography are part of that process. 
So let's take a moment to talk about the Ploker Energy System, which is the mechanism behind uh, ADA's uh, additives Penec P and Penec W. Um, if you ask me, the Ploker Energy is a bunch of new age pseudoscientific hooey. Um, apparently, after looking this up, it's made by uh, a company in Switzerland that uh, this this product um, has been run through an energy beam. And this energy beam has encoded information into the substance that will now help plants grow uh, much better. It's going to enhance the root hairs of, of roots. And it's going to do a lot of good for, for your aquarium. It's Particularly, it's going to um, promote a harmonious balance between the substrate, the plants, and the fish. Uh, this is all just flowery, pseudoscientific language that is pure marketing BS. Um, so I think that's a big sign of something that uh, you really don't need to be spending your money on. And uh, an example of a very reputable, good company, Aqua Design Amano, who makes a lot of really great products, many of which I have used, I have liked. Uh, but, um, you know, you can find these products almost anywhere and sold by a number of places with a very good reputation. And so... Um, I would not base my purchasing history um, or my trust of a product solely on the reputation of the company um, because here's a great example of a company with a good reputation uh, who's actually got a couple products in there that are complete aquarium weed. All right, guys, I'm going to wrap up the show here. Thank you again for joining us here on the Aquascaping Podcast. Don't forget to check us out on iTunes, on aquascapingpodcast.com. Like us on Facebook and on YouTube. And send in your comments and questions to aquascapingpodcast at gmail.com. Have a good week, everybody, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>